Good afternoon and welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. A little few technical difficulties trying to hook up with Congressman Benny Thompson. Uh, you know, they're on break right now. He's in uh, Mississippi and not in Washington, D.C. So hopefully I didn't give him the wrong time uh, for Eric to give him a call. But uh, a lot of things have been happening. Uh, we will be talking with Bob Armstead soon about the Equity Now issue and also a couple of other issues. But uh, also on this week's uh, Seattle Medium, there was a nice article about Seattle King County NAACP President Carolyn Riley Payne. And she, the NAACP had an event on Saturday commemorating the lives of people killed by police. Uh, a lot of folks uh, want to know what they can do. Uh, the NAACP is always on the battlefield for you. And what you need to do is go ahead and spend $30, invest in your civil rights, because uh, that's how we get things done around here. And also, they're involved with uh, uh, registering people to vote. Uh, they're advocates in the community in terms of economic justice. As a matter of fact, Carolyn Riley Payne is one of the board members of uh, 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 the MLK Gandhi Empowerment Initiative and was responsible for setting up a meeting with uh, Senator Patty Murray's office that might produce the first fruits of our labor uh, to get uh, the MLK Gandhi uh, initiative, Empowerment Initiative rolling. We also do have uh, support from uh, Congressman Bobby Scott, who's sitting on a pot of money back in Washington, D.C. as well. But right now, we're going to go uh, to Bob Armstead, uh, past president of the National Association of Minority Contractors, and uh, want to get his impressions and feelings. And I know, I think I know him personally, but uh, 23 years without affirmative action in Washington State, Mr. Armstead. Uh, we know that uh, Jesse Weinberry, a lot of others, including yourself, have been working on the Equity Now initiative. Uh, have you heard any feedback from the governor's office on if they intend to rescind that uh, executive, I mean, governor's directive 9801 and uh, replace it with the executive order? Uh, do you know the status of any of that information for our listening audience? Uh, actually, Eddie, I, I do not. Not the current status. I know that uh, representatives from the community has been working on that for several months. Uh, they have been working in concert with the, uh, the governor's office. Uh, there was not concern, but an interest in uh, changing some of the, the language that the uh, community had proposed. And the uh, community group was working with the governor's office to, to get the language in that uh, that would be acceptable to the governor, but provide the uh, relief, which is the intent of the uh, the executive order or whatever document uh, the governor's willing to release, that would uh, reverse. Uh, the directions given uh, by the then governor to uh, to implement I-200. And uh, the, the governor's directive that was imposed by uh, Governor Gary Locke after I-200 uh, passed was far-reaching in terms of uh, what they were doing, uh, like all of the colleges, all the universities, uh, every state department, cities, towns, municipalities, ports. Uh, it was kind of overreach. And some people are saying now that uh, I-200 was misapplied because it did not kill affirmative action, eliminated racial and gender preferences. Can you address that part? 
Well, it, it was definitely overreach. Uh, if you read the language uh, in Initiative 200, uh, then you read the directive from the governor's office that implemented uh, I-200, you will see that the directive uh, exceeded greatly the, uh, the intent of the initiative. And while there are people in the state that want I-200 uh, repeal, it would do what we feel needs to be done just to have that uh, directive reversed uh, so that then the state would be responsible for implementing what was the original intent and original wording uh, in I-200. It's just that the uh, governor's directive greatly exceeded that. And that is not just the opinion of the, the group that's working with the governor's office to get this done. Uh, we've had interpretations uh, from others. Uh, there's a an opinion by the attorney general. Okay, Bob, I hate. I, I want you to hold on for a minute. Congressman Benny Thompson just joined us. Hold on the line, would you please? Sure. Okay, Eric, can you put Congressman Thompson through? Congressman Benny Thompson, Eddie Rye, how you doing? All right, brother Rye, how are you today? Okay, I'm glad we caught up with you, but. Uh, uh, we were speaking with another gentleman who was uh, on the executive board of the National Association of Minority Contracts. He's still on the line with us. But, you know, uh, just uh, looking at, at your bio, there are a lot of things happening. And I don't want to take too much time talking about how, as Julian Bond just said, you was the bravest member of SNCC because you had to, to go register voters in the Mississippi Delta when folks were looking for people registered to do something to. But uh, in terms of being the chair of the Homeland Security Committee, which is a very uh, prestigious position to have. I know you were there once before. Uh, what are some of the priorities right now? Because, you know, we keep talking about what's happening in the Middle East, and I'm kind of worried about what's happening January 6th and that kind of mentality that we have in the country right now. And then especially having uh, uh, that, that tourist event that happened on January 6th. And I, everybody's wondering, uh, if the uh, Republicans refuse, which we expect them to do, to have an inquiry, uh, will uh, your committee or other committees in Congress move forward with holding hearings on January 6th uh, insurrection? Well, uh, thank you very much for having me on, on the program, first of all. And let me say that uh, the insurrection that occurred on January 6th by uh, the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, the Donald Trump fan club, or whatever you want to call it, was absolutely um, devastating to the, the the standards that Americans have held dear for so long. So, uh, as you know, my uh, charge from the Speaker was to try to put together a commission uh, to look at that. And uh, I got with my ranking member on the committee, and over four months, uh, we pulled together what we thought was a reasonable uh, standard for a committee to operate by. Uh, we would have five Democrats, five Republicans, 
the Democrat uh, uh, would be chair, Republican would be vice chair, and we'd have joint subpoena power between the chair and the vice chair. Uh, and the scope would be limited to what happened around January 6th and what can Congress do in, in passing laws, reinforcing the Capitol, to basically come with a product that would get us to a point that this would not happen again. So uh, fast forward, uh, we presented it. Uh, to the House of Representatives, and uh, every Democrat voted in favor of it, and 35 Republicans voted in favor of it. And at the last moment, uh, Leader McCarthy of the Republican Party tried to say uh, he hadn't seen it. Well, we produced two letters from him saying what it would take for his support. We met him, and at the last moment, he threw the ranking member, John Katko, who had negotiated on behalf of the Republicans, just threw him under the bus. Uh, and, and so uh, it goes to the Senate. My understanding is they might vote on it sometime tonight. To be honest with you, I don't think we had a vote. It will take 60 votes of the Senate to call it up for a vote. Uh, and that's what the rules of the Senate call for. I, I just don't see it right now. After that, uh, we can do as chairs of committees, uh, my committee uh, primarily, but we have several other committees with partial jurisdiction. But I tell you what I'm recommending. I'm recommending that the Speaker of the House of Representatives uh, based on the rules, can appoint a select committee uh, like the Benghazi committee, like other special committees we've had to look at certain things and determine, have the same scope, uh, but she can determine the composition of the committee and she alone. So, in essence, uh, we are offering a bipartisan commission negotiated by a Republican and Democrat uh, uh, member of Congress, which is a good deal, bipartisan, everything. But, you know, we have to go forward. We can't let the Mitch McCombs of the world stop progress, uh, the Lindsey Grahams of the world. So I'm prepared to make that recommendation, Madam Speaker, if the Republicans decide they don't want a bipartisan commission, then you do your job because the capital of the United States, the citadel of democracy, you've been there uh, many times, Brother Wright. There are school children uh, going on tours. There are foreign uh, leaders and visitors coming through just admiring the building, admiring what it stands for. And these hooligans uh, ramshack the place. We can't let that happen. Can you imagine in this country, every time an election went on, if if your candidate didn't win, you'd tear up the city hall or you'd tear up the courthouse. Uh, uh, we're better than that. And we are going to stand for what's right. We're not going to let the Trump hooligans uh, turn this country around, even if 
almost 60 percent of them, as I speak, still think Donald Trump won the election. That's just how confused they are. Well, I tell you, sir, that's uh, that's good news to hear that uh, we because we don't expect for the Republicans to join in. And I just hope that. Uh, that that uh, the, the committees will take this up and bring about some justice. Because one thing about it, this is not nothing that's confined to these borders. People around the world that saw that insurrection, and uh, so and they saw uh, you know police being treated badly. And I'm really happy that uh, the Capitol police officer died in the melee. Uh, his mother was on trying to talk to the Republicans today. I hope that's wrong. But two other things I want to cover with you. One is with the Congressional Black Caucus. How many members do we have of the Congressional Black Caucus? Today? We have 59 now. Okay, 59. We okay. have we have some Republican uh, members of Congress uh, who have chosen not to join us. So is, uh, is that the two Republicans in the House? Uh, two in the House and one in the Senate. Okay, and that that could only be Tim. Okay, okay, yeah, and and in terms of committee chairs now, how many chair uh, committees does uh, the CBC members chair these days? Uh, we have six CBC members who are full committee chairs, and we have 31 who are subcommittee chairs. Uh, the number three Democrat in the House of Representatives is an African-American, Jim Clyburn. Uh, the number four person is the chair of the Democratic Caucus, Hakeem Jeffries. So uh, the largest caucus within the Democratic caucus is the Congressional Black Caucus. And um, I guess we'll get back to Tunica, maybe not this year, maybe next year? Well, the, you know, the Mississippi uh, Policy uh, Conference you host? Well, we looked at it uh, very close. We will do uh, a virtual uh, town hall. We'll do two virtual town halls. One, we'll talk about police reform. Uh, around not just George Floyd, but if you uh, and your listeners I know have followed all the egregious acts that have gone on within the last few years, uh, Breonna Taylor, Tamir Rice, you just name uh, name after name, uh, we have to have some accountability. So we'll do a session uh, on uh, uh, police reform. Uh, being Crump, uh, a lot of the people you see out on the front line uh, advocating uh, for a, a better way uh, have been invited to participate. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we're going to talk about the pandemic and the inequality around uh, the pandemic. Uh, and that inequality is uh, why uh, in the initial rollout, uh, did, did the, the black community get overlooked? And why on the continuous rollout has the black business community been overlooked? And, and so uh, there's billions and billions of dollars uh, associated with responding to this pandemic. But unfortunately, Brother Rye, uh, it continues to flow in just one direction, and that's not in the direction of people of color. So we need to, to look at that. We've raised it. 
so it's it's not just in construction. Uh, uh, it's in all these things. Uh, yes. One of the reasons uh, 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 we are working on this black farmer thing, we have $4 billion going to take care of the ongoing discrimination that the United States Department of Agriculture has conspired against black farmers, and another billion dollars uh, to, to say, hey, we're going to help train uh, future African-American farmers. We're going to be able to provide whatever is needed for you to be successful. So uh, 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 our white farmers say that's reparations. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of us say it's just payback. For years of discrimination. discrimination. That's right. Well, Congressman, I really do want to thank you. I got to have you back on more frequently because you are, uh, really relate to my 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 listening audience. And so, yeah, we want to have you back. Uh, want to thank you very much. Uh, we're gonna have my congressman on today too, Congressman Adam Smith. I live in oh, his absolutely. district. Okay, so thank you very much, Congressman right. Thompson. Thank Take you much, care, Bob Armstead. We appreciate you. Okay, Eddie. Okay. All right, uh, our next guest is uh, Regina Glenn, president of Pacific Communications Consultants and also one of the leaders in the women and minority business community throughout the state and the nation. Regina, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I know you're a busy guy this morning, this afternoon. Well, well I'm trying to, but i tell you what, why don't you uh, uh, go ahead and uh, share with our listeners a little bit about your background and then we'll talk a little bit about your company and also about your advocacy for equality for our people. Okie doke. I will share a few words about me with your audience. From I was born, you know, in Bronx and raised in Baltimore, Maryland. Where activism wasn't a choice; it was a way of life. You had to have an actively be actively alerted to the street life to survive and school tools that you needed. So I knew at an early age to know the rules of the game. But in the block I was walking on, the turf I was with, or the keys to ace and a test. Because low grades were not an option in my house. So I learned that you needed to know the rules of engagement and what you did. It was not enough to be just a good at a skill or a trade. You needed to know the language of where you were, you need to understand, in our case, the rules of business engagement and the language of business obtained through life experiences and through some formal training through my MBA. But most of all, you had to know when and how to follow with the rules, be it the laws, the interpretations, learn who to help and who could help you. Understand business is not about making a profit alone. It's about how you balance your people skills and your caring for the planet you live on. But profit seems to be something that a lot of our businesses hadn't known, and I understood early. It's not just the revenue you bring in, but it's what's left after those expenses. So I applied all this to my work experience, from assistant to the city manager in Tacoma, to the head of licensing in Seattle, the deputy for retirement systems with the state. With Contel, I was public affairs manager and Seattle uh, Metropolitan Chamber of Commerce, their vice president 
for small business development. The 25 years with my company has been about those old rules from home. Know the rules of engagement and who you're working with. And so I hope that I help to share with our businesses that we need to know if we want contracting work to be seriously taken, the language of contracts is in those contract requirements. Do we use small businesses? How do we use them? And what are the sanctions if we don't do that? I mentioned earlier my company talks about not only profit, but also people skills and also about our planet. We don't often hear about that. We have responsibilities to make sure that as business owners, that we are sensitive to the people that we work with and for and our people skills. So we really need to keep up with our continual training and development for ourselves. And one tip, have the best accountant, the best lawyer, the best IT support, and most of all, that administrative manager who runs your back office. You spend the most money you can on those individuals, not just a family, friends, or a hard-up folks that you know for cheap price. That's where you want to put your most investment. So that team will help you be the advocate you need to be and be the business excellence representative that you are. Do you have any, uh, is there any, can you uh, refer any interested parties who might be listening on where they can access any of these resources? Is it at the Office of uh, Women and Minority Business Enterprise? Is it the Seattle City of Seattle Purchasing Office? Where do you find some of this information? Is it online? Just to give Absolutely. our listening audience some kind of idea who might want to pursue this. One thing all they'd have to do is go to my website, and that's Pacific Communications Consultants, Inc. Just Google Regina Glenn, it'll come up, and I have a page called Resource Page, and it will list the key organizations, OMWBE, among others, PTAC, Procurement Technical Assistance Program, and there's organizations like Bob Armstead has been involved with so many years, National Association of Minority Contractors, Washington Chapter. All of them are listed on the resource pages on my website, pccus.com. The one thing I did want to say, be sure to take care of yourself. We're losing losing too many of our business owners, our minority business owners under this stress. Yeah, you're right about that. Regina, we're going to have to have you back to give us some more tips, but we ran a little over today uh, with Congressman uh, uh, Thompson. With uh, but anyway, uh, you're welcome to come back because we like to share wisdom of who people who have been successful in business. Sharing some tips and that information you gave. So before we go, why don't you share your website information one more time? www.pccus.com or Google Regina Glenn and it'll come up. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you. Appreciate you. Okay, Eric, we'll take a break and come back with our next guest after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors 
to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington, or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk 1150. Okay, we're rocking in with my congressman from the 9th Congressional District of Washington State, my congressman, uh, Adam Smith, who is chair of the House Armed Services Committee and a good all-around guy that always show up at the Martin Luther King events. So I can brag on him that because we got a few flicks on uh, pics on Facebook. So uh, we just had one of your colleagues, uh, uh, Congressman Benny Thompson on, uh, Congressman Adam Smith. And uh, everybody in my neighborhood wants to find out uh, about the insurrection. But first of all, I'd like to have you make an opening statement, if you so desire, on this Memorial Day weekend that's coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as, as the chairman of the Armed Services Committee, I, you know, and as, as an American, uh, I think, you know, Memorial Day is always an incredibly somber and important time for our country to remember uh, all of those who gave their life in service to our country. Um, and all that means uh, for all of us. Um, to be able to have the freedoms we have and have the country we have, and for those who continue to serve and continue to put their lives on the line um, for our country. Uh, we should honor their service, uh, support them and their families in any way we can, and I know that's one of the most important things that we do on the Armed Services Committee. So I hope folks will take the weekend and certainly Memorial Day, Memorial Day to, um, to, to think about those who have served and those who have given their lives for our country. I guess we have to include the Capitol Police in there, too, from January 6th, right? Absolutely. Uh, there, there, there are a lot of people, and, and there are a lot of people, as you know, you know, who fought for the civil rights movement who gave their lives um, this country. I mean, fight, fighting for justice and fighting to protect the values of our country has been done by a lot of people in a lot of different contexts, and I think it's important that we remember, remember their service and their sacrifices so that we can move, move closer. Um, to the principles that we, we all hold dear of a free, fair, and equitable society. Now, uh, why don't you share with our listeners uh, a little bit about the inner workings of the committee that you chair, the uh, House Armed Services Committee. Uh, I know there was a, a little controversy recently, uh, but I guess it's up to the administration on who they give aid and sell weapons to. But uh, why don't yeah. you just share with our listeners a little bit how your committee operates 
And are you over the Pentagon? What is your jurisdiction? Sure. Yeah. Now, the Armed Services Committee's job is to do oversight of the Department of Defense and the defense budget. We do have a little bit of the Department of Energy, um, just because the Department of Energy is in charge of the nuclear weapons program. So we have oversight of that as well. Um, the budget is roughly $740 billion a year uh, between the Pentagon and the Department of Energy. And what our committee does is um, we work in, in cooperation with the Appropriations Committee to determine how that money gets spent, but then oversight. Um, you know, principles of acquisition, procurement, you know, readiness, you know, how do we make sure that our troops are ready to fight personnel matters, you know, issues to make sure everything from housing to health care. Certainly one big issue that we're working on right now is trying to combat extremism uh, within the military. Uh, last year, we worked um, to you know, put a commission in place to change the names of bases named for Confederate um, for, of Confederates, which we were able to get past. Well, shout out to Anthony Brown uh, for all of his help, uh, Congressman from Maryland, uh, former vice chair of the committee, for making that happen. So that's our jurisdiction. And interestingly, we don't actually have jurisdiction over arms sales. Um, that's more of a the, the State Department approves that. And then the Foreign Affairs Committee, chaired by Greg Meeks, has jurisdiction over arms sales issues. Um, we're oversight of the Pentagon and all that they do. Now, uh, coming out of this pandemic, I mean, hopefully everybody get vaccinated. I, I've had mine. I'm going on three months but after the second one. Um, a lot of uh, small black-owned companies, mom and pops and one-person shops, uh, have been really hurt. And uh, I didn't know, or could you make up me aware of any organization or governmental entity that has assistance for these smaller businesses? Absolutely. I mean, there are a variety of different programs. We've passed roughly $6 trillion um, in relief of one kind or another aimed at trying to help um, folks who have been struggling through the pandemic. Much of that was on the healthcare side, to be sure, uh, to make sure that people could get tested and treated for COVID and now get the vaccine. And let me just sort of footstop Eddie's point there. Uh, as soon as everyone gets vaccinated, you know, the, the sooner this disease is behind us. You know, vaccination is the way out of this. So just want to encourage everyone to take advantage of that opportunity um, to get vaccinated. So there's that. But then there's support for people who are businesses, the PPP loans. I've talked to a number of, you know, small struggling businesses where the PPP loans were able to help them, you know, hang in during the pan pandemic. We have, you know, food, uh, sorry, we have food support, we have housing support bunch of different programs in there. Now, we continue to have some of the economic development funds, which is, goes directly to your question. But it's also worth noting that this problem predates the pandemic. You, know, you look at the, the wealth statistics in this country and, you know, the incredible disparity um, for, you know, people of color and African-Americans in particular, it points up the need to help get access to capital for businesses so they can grow. We're working on a number of projects right now the federal government, Joe Biden, has submitted a $6 trillion budget. And in that $6 trillion budget, there's small business opportunities. There's all kinds of money that is available to help people get businesses started and sustain those businesses. And this is something that's a huge priority for my, um, my office, is to be a conduit for that, to help people find those, those grants and procurement programs. Um, opportunities to do business. In some cases, you know, a lot of small shops are able to do business with the Department of Defense. We try to set that up. And I think we really need to focus on 
um, African-American-owned businesses and communities of color-owned businesses that have struggled to get access to that capital. we got a lot of great businesses, as you know, um, in the Seattle and South King County area um, that we're trying to support. We, we've had the return of earmarks to Congress, and I'm pleased that we were able to pick out 10 projects um, in my district, um, and we really focused on those types of businesses and those types of community projects to help those communities that, frankly, were left behind before the pandemic and had that only exacerbated uh, during the pandemic. We, we need to grow out of this, as Joe Biden says. We need to build back better, um, better than we were before. Well, you know, uh, it's too bad the MLK Gandhi Empowerment Initiative uh, missed out on that. Uh, uh, and that is uh, a collaboration between some folks, uh, uh, Indian Americans and African Americans, uh, who see a uh, uh, underrepresentation in a whole lot of technology fields, specifically for African descendants of the United States enslaved. And that's one thing that we, you know, we need to, to really, uh, I've been talking to folks and members of the Congressional Black Caucus about, you know, we talk about reparations, but if we really want to get there right away, we need a federal designation for African descendants of the United States enslaved. I have nothing against any other minorities or any other groups. We've been here 400 years. Memorial Day will represent probably another Memorial Day where we've died in every war. And in some wars we didn't start, like in in, uh, the, in, the, in the Black Wall Street, uh, you know, we were, we were probably the only group of people bombed in, 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 in this country, uh, other than the, the madness that happened in 94 at the federal building in Oklahoma. But this was targeted specifically at African-Americans. So uh, every war and uh, we come back, you know, and the economic equality is not there. We lost the entire central area. We lost that because of economic injustice. And we have a situation now where we have rules and regulations, but if we have to just admit, there's a lot of folks with that January 6th mentality making decisions whether a black person, especially African descendant, is going to get the job, get the contract, uh, if there's gonna be any enforcement. And at that insult to injury now, most uh, public agencies are withdrawing anybody from overlooking uh, any of these large firms shoulders to see if they are complying with the rules and regulations and hopefully with uh, the biden administration and with the new uh, uh, uh civil rights director miss kristen clark hopefully that uh, there'll be some changes made because that's what we need uh the local officials these guys are all in it together uh they will not uh because they have relationships with these big contractors the same country clubs and they will not enforce them to do anything as a matter of fact, to show you how bad it is, the Seattle Tunnel uh, Tunnel Partners, there were four black contractors that went broke on that project. And even before the contract got started, the, the former city council member, Michael O'Brien, said, I'm concerned about the history of this firm uh, abusing minority firms and also government agencies they've worked with. But they went ahead and happened anyway. But there's none of these four black firms have been made whole. And we will definitely be uh, meeting with the folks back at USDOT, as a matter of fact, Bob Armstead has already sent a letter to Pete Buttigieg, the secretary, to ask him to reopen this whole situation because we see this discrimination. And when it comes down to African descendants being discriminated, because there's never any way to make us equal or to make us whole. It's always one and you're out. And uh, we've had situations where uh, we've had contractors from Oregon uh, writing nasty notes on their company letterhead to, on, the, on the Breitbart website. Had the white website on their on their letterhead, so we have some serious problems. And January sixth really illuminated 
the severity of the problem. And also when you see uh, the majority of the Republicans saying, oh, it was just a tour. So when it comes down to justice for black people, oh, it's just a tour. So I just wanted to get that off my chest with you, Congressman. No, I understand. And you, you speak frustration that a whole lot of other people feel and express in a variety of different ways. And I think the way, the way to understand that, let, let's imagine some sort of miracle happens and we wake up tomorrow and there is no longer any racism, any bigotry, any discrimination in the United States of America. Now, that's not the way the world works. Uh, people have biases of a wide variety of, of directions that we're always going to need to work on. But even if we could imagine that happening, we would still need to take steps to help make our society truly a society that has equal opportunity for all the reasons you stated, because of the historical relationships that are out there, uh, because of, you know, just the built-in lack of, well, the lack of access to capital. I mean, you just don't have the wealth foundation because of our history of, of discrimination, you know, to, to start a business, to, to survive a downturn in a business. Um, and we need to take affirmative steps, which is why I've consistently supported, you know, bringing affirmative action back to the state of Washington. I've worked with Jesse Weinberry on that issue. I've also worked very closely with Bob Armstead, who you mentioned earlier, on the DOT issues, to affirmatively go out there and reach out to African-American businesses and African-Americans who want to start businesses and make sure that they have access to opportunities, because it's not just going to naturally happen. You know, I mean, it comes down to even hiring people. Make sure you go out there and hire people for, for various jobs. I do that in my office. You know, do that outreach. Reach out to the black community in particular. I think, you know, Deborah Antiman, you know, state rep uh, from down in 47th now, worked in my office for 10 years, uh, was my district director. Um, you got to go out there and friendly build those relationships. Jesse Johnson interned in my op- office. He's a state legislator now in the in 30th district down a federal way. That doesn't just happen, you know. And I tell a story. When I grew up, I grew up in SeaTac. I'm a high school graduate. And, you know, if you're, I guess if you're less than 40 years old, you'll be shocked by my next comment. When I graduated from Taiyi High School, it was 95% white. And I think, mm-hmm. we, I think we had two African-American students in my entire class. Now it's an incredibly diverse, diverse school. Um, but does the leadership, does the job opportunities, do the business opportunities, do they reflect that diversity? Or do they reflect the decades of history that preceded it? too much. It's still the latter. We've got to work to make those changes and create equality of opportunity. It's not just going to naturally happen. And I'm very committed to that. I've worked with Bob. I know the DOT stuff's been frustrating for a long time, um, but we're, we're working hard to try to bring about those changes, understanding the issue in the way that you described it. Uh, on January 6th, yeah, it's, you know, what's going on with the right wing of the Republican Party is is really, really troubling. Um, the cult of Donald Trump um, has just, you know, put them in a position to, you know, make, make common cause with white supremacists, with anti-Semites, with some of the most bigoted people in our country. And we saw those folks on display on January 6th, and we have to shine a bright light on that. We cannot allow the Republicans to whitewash it and try to convince people that it didn't happen. You know, that's why the commission is important. That's why the focus is important, to, to shine a bright light on this so that the American public will know this is something that we must change. And that's very inspiring coming from you, Congressman Adam Smith. And we, you are in a position to bring about that change. And I want to let you know that I had uh, uh, Representative Karen Bass on about three weeks ago 
And uh, I mentioned uh, to her, uh, uh, Representative Jesse Johnson's uh, bill on police accountability, and she wants yeah. to receive a copy of it. So that's some good things that happened in Washington State. I'm glad to hear that he, he cut his teeth in politics in your office. So you produce him and Deborah Intiman. I think she might have to be the freshman of the year with all the legislation yeah. she passed a couple of years ago. Oh, and let, and let so, me be 100% cl cl clear here. Um, you know, I played a tiny, tiny, tiny little role in that. Okay. They both worked for me, and I'm happy they did, but, but full credit to them for the work that they've done. Yeah, no, it's just, you know, it shows how our community can work together. But both Jesse and Deborah have done great work in a wide variety of different forms. I'm just glad that I had the opportunity to come across them. All I'm saying is if you, if you didn't open the door, they couldn't have walked in. Nope. And we appreciate, you, we appreciate you opening the door of opportunity for uh, Jesse Johnson as well as Deborah. They did an outstanding job as well. So, uh, like I said, we'll remember, we're going to have uh, former uh, Air Force veteran uh, Raymond Miller on. We couldn't have a Memorial Day program without paying homage to our veterans uh, who have paid the ultimate sacrifice. I'm just glad that uh, they're finally coming home from uh, the Middle East. And uh, I feel sorry for a lot of the African-Americans in the military around the world uh, when people from those countries come to tell them, why are you over here? You can't even vote at home. And I got to be awfully embarrassing to be out uh, wearing the, the red, white, and blue. And you got a bunch of uh, Republicans so far to the right that they'll do anything to win, including deny us our right to vote. So hopefully this thing can get squared away. And I want to wish you and your family a very successful, safe, and joyous uh, uh, holiday weekend. And we, everybody needs to remember our veterans because they paid the ultimate sacrifice. And let's also remember the Capitol Police that paid the ultimate sacrifice. Those guys will have PTSD forever. And uh, if you know, if you can't believe those films, you can't believe anything. So Congressman Adam Smith, thank you so much. We appreciate you being with us today. Look forward to talking with you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Eddie. I always appreciate the chance. All right. Okay, Eric, we're going to take a break and come back after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. 
to find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Want to hear something different from talk radio? Keep your dial on Alternative Talk 1150. Okay, Eddie Rye back at Urban Forum Northwest once again. Before we go to my next guest, I want to thank Sound Transit, uh, the Labor and Civil Rights Office, Leslie Jones and Joe Nate Robinson, the City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Office, Liz Alzier, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office with me and Rice, Concourse Concessions with Dave Fukuhara, SeaTac Bar Group, LLC, with the two veterans from Desert Storm. That would be Rod O'Neill and Jerry Whitsitt. And I guess they'll be reflecting on, uh, hopefully, a better traffic out at the airport soon. And also want to give a shout out to Brian Cole, Cole Cleaning, did the carpets today. If you need your carpets clean, look up Cole Cleaning. The brother does an outstanding job because you know you've been locked up for a year. And then junk be gone. Scott will be by here tomorrow to get the junk. And now I'll go to uh, my friend and Air Force veteran, Raymond Miller of Vets Place Northwest and about three or four other organizations. So Raymond, I just wanted to welcome you to Urban Forum Northwest and like have a veteran's perspective on uh, Memorial Day. Uh, Memorial Day, what, what does it mean to you? Well, good afternoon, Eddie, and thank you so much for inviting me here. But before I get started, I want to go out and thank the uh, 2.5 million active duty members, military members we have, uh, national, active duty and National Guard, and the 25 million veterans that we have in this country who put duty, honor, and country before self. Uh, and uh, we want to make sure that they get thank you in May is Military Appreciation Month. And why don't you tell, talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing on a daily basis, because you work with your organizations that work with veterans on a daily basis. And a lot of folks are telling me that uh, the veterans are really unappreciated. Is that is that true? Do you feel that way? Uh, 100% uh, unappreciated. And we got to make sure that our Department of Veterans Affairs uh, do a better job than what it's been doing, especially in the last year during this pandemic. A lot of veterans have been unable to get services, unable to access services. And, um, uh, you know, we were concerned about the, the virus, but there are other health care services that haven't been heart attacks, uh, broken arm, not broken arm, but, you know, just regular maintenance uh, wellness programs within the Department of Veterans Affairs have been, been put on hold for the last year. And we got to make sure that we, this country, asks our, our military veterans to go out and serve. And you go out and serve. And when you come back home, they say, we're going to take care of you. And uh, it really, the, the country really doesn't appreciate veterans, in my opinion, like it should. And uh, we have to make sure that we do a better, better job for our veterans and their families. Don't forget that each veteran comes with a mother, father, sister, brother, and wife. And, uh, and children, and we got to make sure that we do that, take care of them as well, because they take care of us. They put duty, honor, and country before self, and uh, we have an all-volunteer military. Everybody serving in the military today is a volunteer. And so at this place, Northwest, we, what we do is we make sure that we help veterans make that uh, sometimes very difficult transition from military life back to civilian life, and for some veterans, it's really, really traumatic uh, you have some really traumatic experiences. Post-traumatic stress disorder is really high. 
We have suicide rights where 22 veterans are, are committing suicide every day in the United States of America. And our men and women are, are, are um, all over the world. They're stationed all over the world. Even some of them are in outer space right now today representing this country. And we got to just make sure that we do a better, better job of taking care of them, especially during that Memorial Day weekend. Now, now you you work with, with several organizations. Do you let uh, our folks know the name of the organizations, what kind of services they provide to veterans, and also the contact information? Um, well, I, we work with the National Association for Black Veterans, NAVVETS, and you can go to got to www.navvets.com and, and reach them. I'm also the chairman of the Armed Services and Veterans Affairs Committee for the Washington, Oregon, and Alaska State Area Conference of the NAACP. You can go to NAACP.com and look up NAACP. If you have such something, questions on, on uh, Armed Service and Veterans Affairs, and uh, you can always write your congressmen and your senators uh, with questions about military services or veterans issues. Uh, they want to take the vote and, and approve the budgets for our military, as well as the Department of Veterans Affairs, Homeland Security. A lot does a lot. With, uh, our military does a lot with Homeland Security. And so we're just making sure that we're out there doing everything we can to make sure that veterans um, uh, veterans and our military services receive the benefits and the services that they deserve from their military service. So well, I hope, I hope my last guest is listening. Uh, we just had the chair of the House Armed Services Committee, Congressman Adam Smith, on. <clears throat> and he seems, uh, gives me the impression he's a person you can talk to and will do the right thing. That's, that's the impression I have. I've have no reason to feel otherwise. And he could be listening right now, but I would strongly suggest that, you know, you represent the, uh, the, those veteran organizations, call him and see if you can get on his calendar during this break that uh, the Congress is having right now. I'm sure he'd be very receptive to that. Because <clears throat> he is a genuine person, I, I would suggest that. So I, I do have some information I can share with you on, on his contact information. So I'm sure he would like to hear from you. Now, uh, in terms of... Uh, 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 the programs, uh, and 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 I also want to talk about the services at the VA hospital. I, I see a lot of now those veterans and the campers that's parked around that hospital. Uh, some of them are yes, some of them are a lot of them are, and that's so they can get to their appointments and stuff like that. So then you know they got to have a place to live. You would think that there'd be some. You would think there'd be some housing uh, by by the VA hospital for the veterans that served the country. You would think. You would think, but that's not always the case. Um, you know, one of the things we have about the veterans of the VA hospital is that if you live in Seattle, Washington, you're okay. But if you live in Darrington, Washington, uh, and you have to go see the VA. You got to get yourself from Darrington, Washington, to Seattle, Washington, to see your doctor. And we need to. And we came up with a program because for to, to see veterans in the community. But the VA is not funding that program as properly as they're supposed to. Uh, and we need to make sure that that program is funded properly. That um, obviously our older vets who are can't travel as much. If you're an older veteran in, in Darrington. And you need services, and you need to see a doctor, or you need to get an operation, and you got to make your way to the VA hospital in Seattle, and that's just not 
and you have to have transportation. So how do you get there? What if you don't have a car? When do we know that, um, you know? I got a remedy what already. Every poor homeless person in the United States is a veteran. Right. And I have a remedy already. There is a, a naval shipyard in, in Everett. And there's a, there's a Whitby Naval Air Station on Whitby Island. And I think they need to open up and start treating veterans in those two locations. That's what I think needs to happen. They don't have to reinvent the wheel. All they got to do is make the investment, expand the place, and treat the veterans right. Matter of fact, that's a good suggestion for Congressman Adam Smith. So that way, if there's any kind of emergency surgery that can't wait and stuff, you have a hospital at, at, the, at the Everett Naval Shipyard. You have a, another hospital at the Whitby Naval Air Station. So uh, now just expand those locations and get the grief, the travel grief, off of those veterans who already paid their price. But anyway, uh, Raymond, yeah, I want to yeah, say, man, thank you very much. We got the problem there. That's two different departments. One, the Department of Defense, and the other one is the Department of Veterans Affairs. Yeah. We don't always talk to each other. So okay, we well, I'll tell you out. what. We can work it out, but we need congressional oversight to help us work it out. Yes, no doubt. Okay, my, my last guest is the person you want to contact, Congressman Adam Smith, who's the right. chair of the House Armed Services Committee. Say thank you very much, man. And happy memory, uh, happy uh, Memorial uh, Memorial Day. Thank you so much for having us. Okay, then. okay. This has been uh, Eddie Rye with another edition of Urban Forum Around the West. I want to thank Congressman Benny Thompson, Bob Armstead, Regina Glenn, Congressman Adam Smith, and my last guest, Air Force United States Air Force veteran Raymond Miller. I talk with you again next Thursday. Have a safe weekend and enjoy yourself.